Hey listeners, I'm your host, Daniel Schroeder, and this is the Biotech and Breweries podcast. Each episode, I'll share a beer or two from one of San Diego's best breweries with a leader from the biotech community as we try to make sense of the science behind some of the amazing biotech companies that call San Diego home. Today, we've got Kilu Sanborn, Managing Director at Oxford Finance, joining us to have a few beers from Duckfoot Brewing while we talk biotech, venture funding versus venture debt, living and working through COVID, her take on the San Diego biotech scene, and more. We didn't waste any time jumping into the conversation, so let's get to it. So do you have, you've got both your beers. Have you had both of these before? I don't think I've had the Drink This or Bees or the Bees Die Golden Honey Ale, and I'm very excited to try. This, so you have had the Golden Honey Ale? No, I've had the other one, the IPA. Okay. Yeah. I, I like everything I've had of Duckfoot, so oh, good. I'm walking advertisement here. So how, and so how did you, I've never been there before, and I feel like I am fairly knowledgeable about the brewery scene uh, in San Diego, so I'm curious how, how you chose, or how you came, came across this one. Well, I became gluten intolerant, which is a very sad thing because barley's included in there, right? And so for a while, I just didn't go to any breweries because it was so sad to see all this good stuff. And maybe they would or maybe they wouldn't have one of the bottled gluten-free beers. And Duckfoot actually doesn't advertise as gluten-free, but one of their founders or the founder, he went through a similar thing. And, you know, imagine being a brewer and loving beer. And then at some point realizing that actually you can't handle it so well. And he found some kind of a enzymatic gluten removal process. And so all of their beer is treated with that. And while they don't advertise as gluten-free, because I think gluten-free, there is, you know, something else. Effectively for me, it's gluten-free. I can drink it and there is no problem. I'm definitely yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good answer. I feel like San Diego is kind of becoming the the Napa of of the brew of the beer world, which is fun because you get to go out and try it with friends, hopefully, you know, most of the time. And um, yeah. there's so many op- there's new ones. It seems like popping up almost every day. So it's it's great. Yeah. But, um, and and I guess a little fun fact: I was looking at the can, and um, yeah, it's not just a clever name. They actually make a donation to bee charities. Oh, okay. So if you look yeah. on the side, it says planetb.org. So which that's kind of a, a good cause. So I didn't, I thought initially maybe you were just a fan of the bees and that's how you picked the beer. <laughs> For every batch of this beer we brew, we donate to bee related charities to prevent colony collapse and to educate children about the importance of our busy little pollinating friends. Learn more at planetb.org. I'm, I'm all yep. for that. There you go. It's a good cause. <laughs> okay, I'll, I will do this. I just, I got the noise. I know I, I decided to do it right into the microphone too, to make the noise. <laughs> so, all right. So we've got the fun, the fun part. We got that part out of the way. We got the beer going. Um, I have some questions that I guess I wanted to ask and we don't, we can kind of just jump through them. And if there's some that you want to focus on more than others, that's great. But I, I've, I've known you for a while and I've never really been able to, like, I've never asked you about your background and how you, how you got to, you know, your role at Oxford. So I'd love to kind of hear, you obviously understand the science, uh, you know, in behind a lot of the life science companies you deal with. And I'm, I'm not really, I don't know the, the story to that or the history. So I'd be curious to have you tell the story. Absolutely. And thank you for, thank you for asking that. Yeah. So, you know, once upon a time, well, 
so I was trained as a molecular biologist. I'm originally from Estonia and came here as an exchange student and found myself in graduate school after college and fully thought I would become a scientist. But when I was working in the lab, I realized that I liked science, but I didn't like the life of a person who runs the lab and writes grants. And I hadn't thought this through very well. And so I said, well, next thing I'm going to think through really well. And then I thought and thought and thought I couldn't figure anything out. And then somewhere along the way came people that said, well, business is kind of this interesting world. And I always felt the pull towards that where, you know, you try different things. And if it doesn't work, you try something else. Unlike science, where if it doesn't work, it's kind of the end of the world because it's a really big deal if, um, if your big project doesn't work, even though experiments not working is a daily reality. And I said, huh. I'll give that a try. And so I went to work after my PhD in molecular biology, went to work in sales for a reagent company. And they basically sold all kinds of systems to work with DNA and RNA and cells. And so all kinds of researchers in both universities and biotech companies use their systems. And you may be familiar with BioLegends that was just sold for five and a quarter billion dollars. The news came out, I think, yesterday. Yeah, I heard that. I'm familiar. Everybody. Everyone's becoming familiar. I guess you see that kind of a dollar amount listed, and it's 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 news. Yeah, local company Camino Santa Fe, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So I've been driving back and forth past them, and you know, look at them a little. But but this is this really puts you on the map, and that's sort of a reagent and technology, you know, antibody company for research use. And then from there, the parent company started a spin out, and this was in the very early days of genomics. And they said, hey, you know, come and do business development for us. And I ended up being sort of the first employee in business development, helped helped with that. And it was really fun. And while we ended up being merged back into the parent company, because things were moving just really fast and that made sense, I, I remember the startup bug. And even though at the parent company, I now got to be head of technology commercialization, again, for these reagents and so on. I remembered how fun it was to be in a really innovative, emerging new field in the startup environment. And so when somebody told me about venture capital and there's a fund in San Diego looking for people and, you know, you have a fresh scientific background, you've done some product management, you've sold stuff, you've looked at a bunch of companies and technologies, I mean, you should try. Yeah. And I didn't really know what a VC was, but I applied and they said, you know, we're likely to have a recent technical background and you've sold and you've done some project management and so on. And they gave me the job. And so that's how I moved to San Diego. And I was an early stage VC for five years. And then somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, you could do the same and not travel so much. And I had my first kid by then and was thinking of more. <laughs> and, you know, you could do venture lending, which is kind of working with these startup companies and, you know, some of more mature companies as well. And you pretty much have San Diego as a territory. And you get to see all these interesting people doing these interesting things and you can, you know, fund innovation and you don't have to pay as much attention to the operating side, but you get to do deals. And it so happens that I really like the deal making part and, you know, maybe I'm a little less energized around the very, very detailed operating, which I very much respect. And there are really good people doing that. But I think that we, in a broad swath, we tend to be the sort of deal relationship you know, close and find the new side. Yeah, and then tra tra transactional, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yep. And so I've done that since. So I came to San Diego in 2000 and that's how I got there. And that's, you know, that's been funding 
funding many types of companies, but all in the bigger life science umbrella. So it's biotechnology, yep. it's medical devices and technologies, diagnostics and research tools, reagents and instruments. I think that's our general um, general bucket. And then we also now have healthcare services and getting more into some of the healthcare IT, but more on the revenue generating company side. Yep. As well as the healthcare services, they also have you know, nursing homes and dialysis clinics, roll-ups of medical practices and sort of things like that. That's that's more traditional lending. And the biotech venture lending is to clinical stage companies mostly. And half yeah. the portfolio is private, half the portfolio is public. And so that's, that's how it is. So given, you know, I, I work in the banking world and I write loans, but they're for a much different purpose generally. Uh, and they're usually much smaller dollar amounts. And so usually a large loan gets everybody, it makes everyone a little bit nervous because they, you know, the, the thought there is if things go bad, it's a lot of money that's out on the table to one borrower. Uh, so at Oxford, I know you guys in, in some cases will write loans of, you know, 50, 75, even a hundred million dollars. Is, is that, is it similar where there's, there's nerves that come with those large dollar amounts or is it something that the team has kind of grown used to and is comfortable with? You know, it's, it's such a good question. And I think the fair answer that I can think of would be it's less about the size of the company and maybe more about the stage of the company and what is it that they use the loan for. So if the company is really well established and it's a multi-billion dollar market cap company, then, you know, 100 million, 150 million, that's okay. They wanted it for some reason for the kind of um, kind of use that we can support better than other, other types that maybe non-specialists lenders or capital sources and that makes sense and we don't lose any sleep and there may be a 10 million or even five million dollar loan that we do lose sleep over yeah because it's a different different company and a different use of capital and i think you generally don't intend to lose sleep over loans you think that you're only only lend to the companies that are doing well and won't get in trouble and same thing with the vcs when they invest they only invest in the winners but then over time things happen but most of the time, if you just probably like you, if you pick the right amount and you structure it the right way, so the company grows into the full amount, if they don't need all of it at once, then it grows into it at different milestones. Now I can have more, now I can have more, because now I actually need more. And why take more than you need right up front? Yep. Then that's a way to dial it. And key is communication. You want to make sure that you know people actually... People talk, and if the wheels are coming off the bus, how fast is that happening? And are there other wheels coming that can be plugged in? And you know what's really happening? I think that's more more important than anything else. But I, I don't know is is that is that similar in your world yeah. or different? Yeah, it's it's very similar. I think it's just um, you're you're kind of you know what you do on a day to day basis is more comfortable for you than it would be maybe for other people. I think you know, from looking at the life science company, and I think for, especially for people that aren't associated with it. So for maybe some of the people that end up listening to this, um, you see a dollar amount, like a hundred million dollars as a credit facility, or you see that a company raised $200 million in a series B or series C for some of these companies. And it's, it's shockingly large dollar amounts where I think the average company, if it had 200 million in cash, like everyone would retire and go home and feel like, wow, we won. Um, and for life science companies, a lot of times it's, it's not, that's not the case. I mean, they're, they're raising money that's just going to get them to the next milestone. Um, 
So I think I think some of that for the average person is a little hard to understand, which, which, uh, and I think even for people that are around it a little bit more closely, it can be hard to understand. So it's it's good to get your your thought on that. Yeah, and if I may, if I may throw in, I was just looking at some news. This is from a couple of weeks ago, and uh, there was an article. I believe it's uh, Union Tribune. I should give credit for it too. So I'll look it up where exactly it was. But they talked about how over the past twelve months or so, about twenty San Diego companies have gone public majority of them life science companies because of you know how the markets are and yep. those are big numbers big yep. numbers of capital raised and yet those big numbers usually last you know a year or two rarely three yeah to get to the next step where they then raise more money and it's again big numbers but it's also very large markets if it works right right because, the upside potential yeah. is huge for those companies yeah. right but it does cost a lot to just it, get there. It's hundreds of millions of dollars technology. to see if they have a, it's just amazing to think that it's, you know, a few hundred million dollars in, you may find out that you don't actually have a viable product, which is, yeah, which is hard for the companies to understand. But the field makes progress, even as that happens, because then we learn, because it's really, biology is so complicated. Health is so complicated. And we know so little. Yep. And I think that's part of the, part of the price there. Yep. So when when it, when you guys meet a potential new client or someone that's interested in a credit facility, um, is it is it just you that kind of evaluates the company and evaluates the ask and and kind of digs into it, or how how big is the team and kind of what does that process look like? Yeah, yeah, not at all. It's it's all very much a team effort. And so we have one way to think of our company and probably some other similar ones is we have the origination side, which is like myself that are at people who are focusing outside and who are looking at the whole universe of life science companies. And my universe ends up being mostly in Southern California and a little bit up, up in the Bay Area as well. And just looking at the companies and kind of identifying which ones are interesting, which ones we have to wait a little until they mature, which ones are not going to be candidates just because of, you know, the, some companies are very good companies, they're just not good credit risk. Maybe there's a single asset and if something doesn't work, then, you know, there's nothing else left. So we're right. looking more at the full enterprise. And so we form relationships based on that. And people also come to us and oftentimes they start by coming to us since we're the face of the company, looking at the whole industry and then kind of looking at the subsets and tracking companies. Because really our job is to to track what's happening and then, you know, be ready for a conversation, whether it arises from our side reaching out or their side reaching in. And then we have a credit team and they're really the brains of the operation in that they do a lot of analysis of the financials of the company. They look at the science, they look at the operating plan, they kind of look at the common sense, what makes sense. And then they take a little haircut to the optimistic projections because I think that's just what everybody in credit world does. Yep. And, you know, being in the credit world, they're more downside focused than in the venture world where you're very upside focused, right? Yep. And then we work together to put together a proposal and so then negotiating and presenting it to the outside world, competing and, you know, making sure that our proposal ends up the prettiest one in the room, which sometimes happens and sometimes doesn't happen. That happens again on the origination side, on the transaction, you know, the deal side. And, you know, the, the deal side isn't really supposed to interfere and doesn't interfere in the credit process. Right. Like I'm not going to be influencing the credit guy's decision. And similarly, we all work together. But while the credit teams are very much a part of the communication, we do things a little bit differently and we do some different things. So but we have to work 
well together. And that's one of the joys of working at a place like Oxford where culture is great. Yeah. So everybody supports everybody else. So ultimately, everybody's interest is to do the deals, but make sure they're good deals. And, yeah. you know, every once in a while, if you're on the origination side, then your typical frustration is that we should have done this deal and we said no too easily. And then when you're on the credit side, your frustration is kind of the opposite. We shouldn't have done that deal. And, you know, it's becoming a headache. And and somewhere in between is sort of this, this true medium. But it's not obvious in the moment of analysis. It becomes obvious in the process of life what goes well and what doesn't. And, you know, there's so much just fortune and bad fortune and outside markets and things you can't control. So it's I think everybody's just doing a good job and we're doing a good job together. And then, of course, we have also support from the legal and accounting and, you know, the other support functions of the company. But the clients mostly interact with the uh, origination, the deal team, as well as with the credit team. Yep. So you, you said before, I guess you had a, so you spent a few years or you spent some time in the in the venture capital space before becoming, you know, joining Oxford, which was kind of yeah. viewed as one of the bigger lenders to, to life science companies in the country. And I think definitely has a great reputation. Um, do, did you feel like the the venture capital landscape was more competitive maybe than the lending space is? From what I can tell, you guys are kind of the, the biggest player in the lending space. There's obviously some some banks that do venture debt as well that you kind of compete with at times. But it seems like you guys would be, I would think, I would think one of the go-to companies to, to look to if you're looking for a credit facility. Um, so is that, is that true? You know, I have never thought of it the way you put it. And it is true that there are less, there's a smaller number of lenders and venture capital funds, but in some ways the lending, the lending situation is just differently competitive than venture capital because it's much more frequently the case that lenders compete with each other than it is that except for very fluffy markets like now that VCs compete quite as much. Now they compete a lot, but it's not always that way. Right. And it is Oxford's definitely a brand name and we're very happy to, to be that in the business and we've earned it. And a big way, big reason why we've earned it is we actually don't leave when the going gets tough because there's always a lot of lenders when markets are easy. And then many of them just sort of, shop or stop lending or start doing something else when yep. it gets bad and then there are a few who stay and Oxford's always stayed and I think that kind of helps and also if you're patient then you earn your reputation as a good partner I think that's another thing that's important but that kind of it only matters so much it doesn't matter to less experienced finance teams or or you know people who haven't been through difficult times and it matters more to people who are more seasoned and who understand why having a, a reliable patient partner is useful because they have had that experience of going through tough times. And so the lender's reality is the best looking term sheet usually wins. And so it's our job to just sort of try to get in the pot and be among the last few that at least we get looked at. And then if right. we can't earn ourselves a seat at the table, well, you know, then it was ours to lose. Yeah. And if we can, you know, then all these these good things about us, including very deep pockets, which helps, and yep. ability to, you know, stay in the, as a long-term partner because we're very much partnership-focused. We want to see a company that grows and help it grow by giving them this less dilutive capital alongside their equity. 
so they can always choose here's a good time to to get equity because our equity is well valued and here's another time where maybe it's better to not create a moment for equity raise instead we can get that and we also signal to the market that hey we don't need you right now we're fine and so that's sort of playing in that way to have a partnership where the company understands us and we understand them it makes it easier for you know for the company to maintain and grow their equity value at all times rather than kind of be at the whims of what's their cash position and where they are in the cycle of drug development and market right now yeah all right i'm going to pause we've been we've been talking for for about 20 minutes did you you tried you tried to be the 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 golden honey ale what what are your is it, are you a fan uh-huh. are we going to we should recommend it to others and uh, maybe save some bees that's what i'm thinking I think we should save some bees. Let's do that. All I right. like it. It's a little bit floral. It I don't is. know if I'm using the right words, but <laughs> to me, it's floral. If I were a bee, I'd be very I, happy. I I think it would definitely attract some bees. I think you're right. Um, all right. So the other beer, we don't we don't need to drink both of them, but I'm going to open the other one, which is the liquid the liquid jam hazy IPA, also from Duckfoot. I don't think they donate any of the proceeds to bee causes, unfortunately. But uh, I'm going to open it and try. I'll have two beers going. I'm not going to drink both of them, but um, you know, feel free to open yours and, and we can try it. We can try it as well. I'm going to do that. And now that we're 20 minutes in and I don't have a second glass, I'm going to go straight from there. Straight from there. <laughs> that's all right. Here. That's all right. The second I beer. I can do it off camera. It's better from the can anyway. Anything, but yeah, there you go. So. Um, all right. So while, while you're trying that. Say when. <laughs> yeah, when. We'll do, we'll do a little virtual cheers. Let's right. do it. Cheers. <laughs> it's kind of citrusy. I wouldn't say it's quite as sweet or as uh, I don't notice any honey. Maybe it wouldn't be as appealing to the bees, but um, yeah, it's good. but it has it. It's satisfying. It, it feels a little bit more like a fall bear to me, but that's just maybe coming straight off the bees. It tastes a little heavier. I would agree with mm-hmm. that. Maybe mm-hmm. fall. Good. Yeah. Maybe like an end of summer beer. Yeah, yummy though. <laughs> I do so, like IPAs. Good. Yeah. Do you are you uh is beer generally your your drink of choice when you when you choose to to have a couple? Honest answer. If I have good beer that's gluten-free and conveniently present, then yes. Yeah. But that tells you that there are times when it's not conveniently present or gluten-free. Sure, right. And, and so the other drink of choice honoring my Estonian roots up there in the north, mixed vodka cocktails. Not that frequently, but I I think that our genetics carries vodka better than wine. It's, my, it's been a it's been a shared lore among the Finns and Estonians and you know, Swedes and other neighbors that we seem to have a particular, I don't know if it's affinity, but just ability to, uh, to handle it. Well, yeah, it's gluten-free, right? So that, that helps. And it's gluten-free. Exactly. Yep. But I like, I like this beer and I like beer in general. What yeah. about you? I, uh, you know, when I, I think when I, I like to, I'm a sampler. I think I like to try, uh, try different things. And I think that's part of what is fun about beer, especially here in San Diego. There's so many great breweries to try and get familiar with, but I like, you know, wine, I like spirits. I kind of like to mix it up a little bit. So I think it's it, the variety is, is fun. I like to kind of experience new things when I can. So. 
have you have you tried and i do not know the english word for it but in estonia and i know it's a big thing in russia and probably elsewhere as well there is something called kvas or in estonian it's kali and it's kind of hmm. like it reminds you of beer but without alcohol so kids can drink it and it's very refreshing in summer it's kind of like drinking beer and not getting the buzz and you know you don't taste the alcohol wow, the reason okay. i ask is because i was just reminded of it yesterday because my 17 year old and i stopped by at the european deli that's run by russians and so okay. they sell a number of russian things and they have several types of kvas Huh. And in fact, maybe I should pick you up some, or at least point you in that direction for one of your podcasts. I would love podcasts. that. That'd be great. And I, yeah. I tell you what, maybe uh, we'll have you back on the podcast soon. And instead of doing beer, we'll try we'll try that drink instead. That'd be fun. Sounds good. We Thank can you. Spread, we can spread the news, and we can give a, you know another plug to the European deli. So there you go. Sounds good. What? Um, all right. So another question for you. Um, so San Diego has kind of grown to be one of the three largest markets for life sciences. I think Boston's probably, you know, Boston and San Francisco are probably a little bit larger, but San Diego's is still growing. So it seems like it's got a ways to go. Um, be curious to kind of just get your take on if you think the growth will continue and kind of what, what makes the San Diego market such a hot one for life science companies, um, and kind of what, what people, you know, in the area can expect, um, looking yeah. forward. Yeah. So last two years, kind of surprising, because if you had asked me that last March, I wouldn't have known to say that, right? But last two years have really changed qualitatively what is happening in San Diego because of the amount of capital that has flown in. And thanks to the pandemic, and partly also thanks to the global capital markets and you know the capital inflows into the United States, which is driving this along with the stimulus and low interest rate environment, there's a lot of capital looking for return. And some of the better return areas in the time where speculative return is valued are in tech and in biotech. And so we're good at both. And we're talking about the life science, you know, biotech in general. And so this capital infusion in the form of IPOs, as well as very generous venture rounds that has happened in the last, you know, really several years, but most markedly since the beginning of COVID, um, is something that we're going to see the effect of much more because it's going to look like hiring more people. We're actually going to be importing people from elsewhere, maybe, yeah. but maybe Bay Area and Boston. We're seeing it now. Just today, I got... You know, I got a promise to be introduced to a executive coming in from the Bay Area, the uh, a woman leader that is has moved the family to San Diego, and we hope to see more of that. Yeah, and its underpinnings are in the quality of science and the experience of sort of building and running biotechs. What we don't have, relatively speak, relative to areas that have less than we, we look good relative to Bay Area and Boston, we have less experience in sort of mature commercial companies that have stayed independent. Because San Diego companies have by and large been sold. They get to a certain level, then they get yep. sold to somebody that's somewhere outside. And so the profits ultimately go somewhere outside as well. Yep. And same thing, majority of the venture funding comes from somewhere else and the public funding. We don't have that strong of a capital environment here. And so those profits and those, you know, what comes with them also ultimately parks themselves back where it came from. 
but I'm hoping that it may will game and as more care and as they are successful, maybe there are some that will stay and will grow and will be buying others and will not ultimately end up headquartered somewhere else. But I definitely expect this to continue. I don't expect the capital markets to always be so rich. And if do, if if I'm wrong, then the world really has changed. And this time it is different. So I've heard it a few times when, you know, this time it's different. Yeah. And I'm just not a believer because I remember what it feels like when there's no capital. I think everybody has got plenty of cash. Um, it seems like, I guess, from a from a bank's perspective, you know, I think, you know, it, banks have grown over the last 18 months. It's, it's I think, at the, looking at the start of COVID, the, the concern was that, there were going to be some really hard times and there definitely were, but I think in, in certain cases and in, I think the life science community and the banking world as two examples, they're kind of flush with cash at the moment, which is a good problem to have, but I think you're right. It's kind of hard to expect that that's going to continue uh, forever. At some point, you know, the, the ties will, the ties will change or the ties will turn. I think. Can I ask you a question, even though it's your yeah, podcast? Sure. So I'm curious, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm a lay person as far as any sophisticated understanding of banking is concerned, right? Okay. And, you know, when I hear news about how much of the global capital is coming to the U.S. because we're coming out sooner than everyone else and there's nowhere else to put the money and, you know, the markets are running and, you know, stocks are roaring and all of that, that we have a lot of capital flows that are here from elsewhere. And that, on one hand, creates this pressure to to you know fund things and pressure on asset prices and so on. And on the other hand, that may be somewhat temporary. How do you, how do you see that, or what do you hear? Is that a wrong way to think of it? No, I think I think that that's right. I think it's also it's something that probably doesn't get enough attention or as much. I think the average person I think isn't as aware of it maybe as some as you know as they should be, but. Um, I think especially if you look at the real estate market in a place like San Diego and you see what has happened to home values and the demand for homes, yeah. some of that is people that live here and have just decided that, you know, hey, since if I'm going to get stuck in my house again for a year, I want to have a bigger house. That's been that's part of it. Um, but there's also people from overseas that just say, hey, I've got plenty of cash in China or in the Middle East or wherever it might be. And the governments there at some point may make individuals worried mm-hmm. that at some point I have, I have plenty of money today. Maybe, I, maybe it gets taken off of me six months or a year from now. So I'll, I'll buy a home in San Diego as kind of, um, you know, a, a, say a f- fairly safe long-term investment. We've seen a lot of that. I think where you've, we've got clients that are looking to buy homes and maybe willing to pay cash, but get outbid by people that haven't even seen the property in some cases from wow. overseas that are, that are willing to pay kind of more than top dollar just to land an, land an asset, I think in their eyes, not so much a home. Um, so I think that's probably true in other parts of the economy as well. I think the stock market, um, there's probably some of that coming into life science companies even, I would imagine. I haven't really seen it as closely, but um, yeah, I think that's a really good good point though. It's something that um, I don't think is gonna, gonna stop anytime soon. It may slow down, um, but I guess it kind of makes you feel good in a way to know that, People from other countries are viewing the United States as kind of the safest place to keep their money. So, like, if if things if if the tides do go back out, it's good to know that maybe the United States will fare better than than most other yeah. places. But and one of my maybe naive 
hopes also is, you know, even if right now things look overvalued compared to what I was used to thinking they're valued at, because, you know, there's more zeros than before behind companies that look kind of the same as they used to. And at the same time, especially with capital intensive industries like life science, where it can actually build value with this capital, you know, we can maybe grow into those numbers by building that value. You know, it's one thing if it's inflation and money loses value and therefore numbers just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Yep. It's another thing if we catch, you know, catch the value creation, we grow into those numbers and good things really happen, which in yep. some ways happened with the tech tech world yeah. where it kind of caught up. And then much to people's surprise, there was, you know, things were much better than anticipated a few times. Yeah. Where dire scenarios were painted. I think in San Diego, there's a lot of companies that have had great ideas that have struggled to get funded historically. Yeah. And so I think maybe you're right. Maybe maybe the the shift in the funding environment will lead to some things happening that maybe otherwise wouldn't have. So that, that's a good point. All right. So one one last question, and this is more of a fun one, not so life, life science focused, but knowing you for the last few years, I know wellness is a, is a big focus of yours. Um, we had tried to, to do a couple hikes, which I swear we're going to do it someday. We're going to get our Tory Pines hike and actually have it happen. I think if we put it on the calendar, though, it, I feel like another, you know, something, a, a giant earthquake or something. Calamity. Yeah. 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 So yeah. We, it might, maybe we should just let it go. But um, but would love to know a little bit more about kind of your wellness, overall wellness strategy. And if there's certain daily habits that you just stick to or things that you do to to try to keep yourself balanced and kind of. Um, even keeled through some of the stressful things that can come with your day-to-day work. Thank you, Dan, for asking the question. I love the question. And this is is timely because when the pandemic started, I got more serious about it for obvious reasons. And um, I would say that the main, the most important thing for me is actually just taking time to be, and that includes meditating, but I also have started to do weekly guided journeys which are basically on Wednesdays from 12 to 12.30. Anyone can show up, you know, there's no registration or cost or anything. It's literally middle of the week, middle of the day. You know, if you want to chill out, then just come and anything can happen. I mean, it's just sort of you, it's not a sit quietly and try not to think. That doesn't work for me. I'm, you know, I don't own a head that can do that very well. But in terms of being, taken into different types of experience, whether it be physical experience, sensations of your body, or whether it be observing the mind or feelings or emotions, or just literally going on a trip with eyes closed. Hmm. It's it's super rejuvenating and super refreshing. I love doing that. And people show up so far they do. And, And the most fun thing is that most of them are kind of busy professionals like myself who realize that half hour in the middle of the day, in the middle of the week is plentiful. And you don't have to drive anywhere and you don't have to do anything. And then, you know, walks are good. But along with this way of relating and realizing that Zoom and video are perfectly fine. I mean, there are people from different countries that show up because they're my friends or they have heard about it. And it's awesome how much you can feel what I think is sort of a way of future, how much you can feel the coherence of a group between people. And you don't have to be together. But if you're intentional about it, it's kind of magical. 
And then, you know, good ideas happen, you start feeling better, like that whole aspect of wellness that is entirely accessible and available to us. And that kind of lives as a field between us. I'm very interested in that. And the more interested I get, the more magical it gets. So the more magical it gets, the more interested I get. And then I find other people and they sort of magnetize themselves. So I think that's where we're going. Because I'm not that special. If I'm having that conversation, other people are having that conversation. You know, yeah. like that thing's really cool. And it, I think it has such a such a high potential to help improve our wellness without a whole lot of effort or hard work. Yeah. So the guided journey, I've never heard of this before. So I'm, I just want to... So- it's on Zoom. You do it on Zoom, it sounds like. And each time, yeah. is it just, you just relax and listen? You kind of listen to, is it yeah. a guided, it's a guided kind of thought process to take to yeah. kind of thought, in, in visualize or yeah. visualize being somewhere else in the world? Yeah, exactly. And you just kind of go and see what happens. And you have your own experience. No one's ever failed. There's no way to mess it up or do it wrong. Yeah. And Honestly, I love doing it, but oftentimes even I don't really know what exactly shows up because I'm kind of on the journey. So even though I'm the one leading it, so far so good. <laughs> and and we often start with just what's in the room and what's present or how people show up. And other times it's more like we just jump in. And other times we start with a bunch of time eyes open, but there are different ways to see things even eyes open. Yep. And there are different indigenous ways or different cosmologies that allow you to see the world differently you can travel without traveling that way and, you know why not if you're curious and you like to explore and it ref- refreshes and relaxes who wouldn't want to do it so that's great i love that i love that idea i'll have to i'll have to join I'll, you on your guided journey one of these I'll one of these the weeks details. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's great um so before we before we drop off, is there anything else that you think would be valuable to to share? Any comments to make about the San Diego life science uh, kind of world? I yes, and thanks for asking for this too. And there's something about San Diego that I think is going to get even stronger, and it's this notion of how you know people are very supportive here of each other, even though we compete for people and for money and for resources and for science and, you know, all this stuff. Right. But there's a certain tightness to the community. And I, 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 I I would be really surprised if I'm wrong on this. And I believe that we'll be much tighter this time around when we come out of the pandemic. And I'm really looking forward to just reconnecting with people and to being more mindful or more, um, more humbled, more honoring of the kind of community that we have and the value of the relationships, not take it for granted as, yeah. as, as much as maybe uh, I did before and others. And I, I'm really curious to see where that leads, because I think if we are intentional together in that way, where we're connected and connecting and also honoring of the power of this particular supportiveness and relatedness that we have here it's a capital i mean money's a capital but that's a capital that's a capital that can be used to create value and well-being which is also something of value and you know innovation and so on it's it's something that maybe you can't put it in the bottle but it's pretty darn close that's great i love that i think i hope you're right that's uh that could be another silver lining to the to the pandemic and kind of what we have one kind of lived through for the last 16 months so yeah 
and I'm grateful for you and your idea of doing these podcasts with these oh, good. local beers. Good. I think that's I think, such a think you know, idea. It's, uh, I think the, the goal for this is, one, I, I want to learn more about life science. I, I think I know enough to be dangerous, but I've still got a lot to learn. Um, I think it's also great for a lot of other people in the community to have a way of kind of maybe understanding the life science community. I think it's a lot of times when you talk with scientists, it's hard to understand what their goal is and what they're trying to accomplish with their company. Um, so hopefully, you know, sprinkling a little bit of beer on top of the conversation makes it easy for easier for everybody to understand. So, so we'll see. Absolutely. Genius. Love it. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much, Kilo, for being uh, one of my first guests here. And um, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. And best wishes and lots of success. All right. Go podcast and go Dan. Cheers again. Thanks, Kilo. Cheers again. All right. Bye. Bye. There you have it. Big thanks to Kilo for joining us today. Hopefully you had as much fun listening to the conversation as we did drinking the beer. For more information on Kilu, Oxford Finance, and how you can get in touch with us, visit biotechandbreweries.com. That's it for now. Thanks for tuning in.